Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, today. And today on the show, we have James Donovant, and he's been on the show two or three times already. I think he holds a record for being being the guest on the show the most. You do not want to miss this show because as you will see in his picture, uh, his before and after picture, he has transformed his life by losing about 50 pounds and he will tell us some of the details about that. One of the things is the carnivore diet. You guys might may have heard of the carnivore diet where people eat just meat. Um, now he has a little bit of modified diet um, other than the carnivore diet, but um, this has worked for him and he's going to tell us um, how he did it. Um, so if you guys are interested, you guys might get some ideas from him too. So James, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. I look forward to talking about this. I know we've talked about other things, so this is something I'm really passionate about. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, I wonder if you and I can actually get through an entire episode without talking any kind of government politics at all, especially how government ruined healthcare. You think we can do that? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> well, we could also we could actually start off by saying that you know, you could actually debate, you know, like the government food pyramid um you know, and some of the things that the government has talked about diet and, and things um, has actually, you know, been detrimental to Americans for sure. So, but let's not go down there yet. Okay. Let's start with you yeah. first. <laughs> so, um, boy, you know, the, your picture that you shared your before and after is, is crazy amazing. So give us the time frame and the weight um, that you started at and what you're at now and, 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 and why you got started in the process. Yeah, well, as, I guess I was always on kind of a standard American diet. I always thought that I ate relatively healthy. I wasn't just binging on fried food all the time. I was just sort of eating normal. And of course, as a salesperson, most of my career, I've done a lot of traveling. So that lends itself to maybe not eating as, as healthy as you would like to. So I had my last son when I turned 40. And it sort of hit me in the face that, you know, if I really don't start taking care of myself, that I might not see my son have kids or get married, you know, if I don't live to be 60 or 65. And I did have some history of <clears throat> heart disease in my family. Both of my grandfathers had heart heart disease. One of my grandfathers even passed away in his mid-40s, so I never even got to know him. And then about that same time, I had some older boys, and I went to Boy Scout camp with them, and we had a swimming test. and. I obviously knew how to swim, but I couldn't pass the test because I didn't have the cardio endurance to swim three or 400 meters or whatever the requirement was. So at that point, I just decided, wow, I really need to start taking care of myself a little bit more. So I started exercising. I started Orange Theory, and that really worked well for me. The first year, this was, I guess, about five years ago. So the first year of Orange Theory, uh, when I started, I was about 230 pounds and started doing that like four or five days a week and got addicted to it, I guess. So I got the exercise part down and then within the first year, I'd lost about 20, 20 or so pounds. And then I guess I guess sort of plateaued because I'd never looked at the way I was eating. I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm eating healthier because I'm eating more protein bars and go to Jamba Juice and get a smoothie for lunch. But I was still, I think I sort of stalled out 
And I stayed about 210, about 210 pounds for over a year, maybe two years. <clears throat> and I guess I just thought, well, that's probably about what my optimal weight should be, I guess, because look, I'm exercising all the time and not really losing any more weight. But, and I thought I was eating relatively healthy at that. So uh, last December, I had a friend who is a nutrition coach and uh, she posted a um, challenge that, you know, go for seven days and cut out gluten and sugar and fruit. And basically it was like a keto reset. And I didn't even know what that was. They didn't talk about it as being a keto reset. So in that first seven days, I started breaking out. I, I had whelps on my back. I thought like something had stung me or something. So I realized at that point, I really did have a lot of processed food and sugar that my body was detoxing. And I just felt better uh, after a week or so. So I, I started that last December. And I uh, see, I was, I guess, like I said, about 205 pounds about mid-December last year. So I did that, basically cut out the gluten, cut out the processed foods, cut out the really low carb for the most part, no, no wheat of any kind or bread. And so then at the 1st of January, I heard about this crazy um, carnivore diet and decided to try a month of that. I guess I should go back a little bit because, you know, talking about our philosophy of how a lot of things were told of being wrong. I actually had a friend of mine in October of last year tell me about the Game Changers movie, which was, I would say, is, you know, kind of vegan propaganda film absolutely, at this yeah. point. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I watched it and I got the, I had the opposite reaction. I watched it and said, wait a minute, I, I question a lot of these things that are be, I'm being told in this movie. So I really started doing my own research for a couple of months in like October, November last year. So leading up to this change in diet, I really had dug into, okay, what are they saying about why meat is so bad for you? And then that's when I realized that, wait, a lot of these things we've been told and, and meat being vilified so much is really not true. In fact, you know, we can talk later about how much of that is on what we've been told by the, you know, health professionals in nutrition and uh, government, right. you know, government guide, guidelines. But that's kind of where I am. So I started that. Um, once I started that in December of last year, from December to February, I went down from 205 to 193. So I had a DEXA scan in February of 2000, uh, of this year, 2020, and I dropped you know, almost 10 pounds just in two months. It seemed like the first couple of months going primarily carnivore, I lo lost about a pound a week. And then since then, from uh, February to now, I've gone down to 183, so dropped another 10 pounds. So basically 20 pounds, or a little over 20 pounds in 2020. So I'm happy with that. Although, you know, my goal is not really about the weight loss as much as about metabolic health and overall nutrition and how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's what I tell people all the time is that, you know, the scale is just a tool. Honestly, there's so many other factors that are important than, than weight. Um, you know, like you say, your metabolic health and, and how you feel. 
um, especially if you have a cardiovascular disease risk. Um, you know, there's other factors for sure. Two, two big points I can take out of this is that, um, you know, when you were exercising, you were doing everything right. You were, you know, killing it at um, Orange Theory, um, but you really weren't, you know, feeling optimal yet. And, you know, one of the things that I was taught a long time ago is that you can't exercise your way out of a poor diet. And right. yeah, and we talk about this show all the time. There's really three things we can do to stay healthy, and that's eat, exercise, and rest. And, um, you know, we don't have to exercise to live. We do have to eat to live. So if you're going to pick one or the other, it's more important to pick a good, healthy diet. So that's where it looks like you made a lot of gains is when you you decided to to definitely change your diet. I think that's what a lot of people miss is that, you know, they might go to the gym four or five days a week and even work out hard. But if you don't watch your diet, you're not going to get the gains and the benefits that you could if you did watch your diet. So, yeah, I've always heard people say that constantly that 80% of it is your diet. But I was like a lot of people, a lot of my friends now, I still hear people who go to the gym almost every day say, well, the reason I work out is so I can eat what I want, basically. And I guess if that works for you and you're happy with how you feel. The other thing I guess I would say is that I think there are a lot of people out there that might even look healthy on the outside that are unhealthy on the inside because they haven't eaten correctly and their hormones are messed up and might yeah. not have the best uh, blood work <laughs> if you were to really look. Right. And Although they might externally look like they're a good weight because you can lose weight in the wrong way, I think. For sure. We had Dr. Sean Amara on our podcast last year, I believe, or at the first of this year. And basically the name of the podcast was skinny on the outside, fat on the inside. You know, visceral fat is very, very important and a lot more dangerous than, you know, sub Q or your outside fat. So is the visceral fat that's hidden a lot of times. So, you know, it's called the, mm -hmm. skin, the skinny fat. And, you know, um, if you're skinny fat, you are definitely unhealthy. So, um, you know, those people can benefit from you know, a better diet for sure. My immune system this year too, with all the, you know, COVID things going around, I was exposed directly to COVID twice and never, I feel like eating this way and being healthy this year has really optimized my immune system in a lot of ways too. Yeah. And that, that is one of the things about eating healthy and exercises. It's not just your physical appearance that, that gets better. It's, it's things that, you know, aren't visible necessarily. And your immune system is one of them. Healthy body, healthy immune system. They're all tied together. Um, healthy gut, healthy immune system. And you can't really have a healthy gut if you are eating crap all the time. So what does your typical day look like of, of eating? You Are you strictly carnivore? You mentioned that you weren't strictly carnivore. Tell us what a typical day of, of eating looks like. No, I would say I'm not, I've never really been strictly carnivore. What I've come to, I think, is that, you know, a lot of different diets can work for different people, that everyone is unique. And so, I mean, if a person is on a crappy American diet and they go to just eating real food, they're going to get healthier. I guess what I've come to believe over the last year is that sort of the optimal human diet that we were designed or evolved to have is, is an animal-based diet with animal foods as our as sort of the foundation of getting all, most of our nu nutrients, vitamins and minerals from animal 
foods and then uh, supplement that, I guess you would say, with things you like to eat that are the least toxic for you. And so the carnivore diet, a lot of people have called it kind of the ultimate elimination diet, especially if you've got gut problems like I did. I had very bad, like irritable bowel type symptoms and had acid reflux. So cutting out everything, primarily everything but meat, and then seeing what kinds of things and how they affect my gut has really been what I've done. And so I kept um, avocados and olives, maybe some berries uh, throughout. But I mean, the foundation of my food that I eat every day would be like, I tend to eat twice a day. So I do, I sort of morphed into intermittent fasting and you kind of do that when you go a carnivore type diet and you eat a lot of protein and fat, you're satiated. So if you eat at six, six thirty in the evening, it can easily go and not be hungry until 11 or 12 the next day. So generally we'll have a cup of coffee in the morning and then you know, around 11 or noon, I'll have some bacon and eggs or ground beef and eggs or steak and eggs. And then, uh, you know, something else about six hours later. And that could be, you know, there are a lot of options, shrimp. And I, I don't do as much pork, I guess, because and we could talk about this a little bit. But um, pork and chicken, I feel like are higher in linoleic acid. And I'm trying to stay away from that and do more. Uh, red ruminant meat like beef and lamb and then some seafood yeah to go ahead and, and and hit on that a little bit about the pork and the chicken uh, lean lake acid i think it's because it's inflammatory correct well yes yeah, so there's a lot of people that have done research recently about polyunsaturated fatty acids and the amount of uh, the pupas that that basically primarily come from the seed oils that are in our diet now so that seems to be one of the common denominators between people that get healthy on whether it's a meat-based diet or even a plant-based diet. If, if they cut out the um, processed vegetable oils that we have been told for so long and, uh, that those were the healthy heart, heart oils, you need to get away from saturated fat, meat, uh, animal fat, and butter, and eggs, you know, all that is, is, is bad. So we, we've replaced those. In the 20th century uh, alone, our consumption of these polyunsaturated fatty acids, which the worst I think is linoleic acid, have gone from about two percent, two or three percent of our diet, probably historically, to more like 20 or 30 percent of our diet now. So there's a lot of research that people are doing, have done over the last few years to show that these polyunsaturated fatty acids actually. Uh, signal or trigger your fat cells to say, hey, we're, we can grow now. And so the carbs that people are adding are basically fuel to the fire. Once you've, you've signaled to your fat cells that they can grow, when people are eating lots of carbs, then that is like throwing logs on the fire. So it's not necessarily the carbs that have caused people to get overweight and insulin resistant, but once they're uh, metabolism is wrecked from these oil, these seed oils, then, you know, the carbs become a problem. So if someone is metabolically healthy, they should be able to eat, you know, good carbohydrates. But since most people are not metabolically healthy, it, it does help for them to go on 
like a low carb diet, but that might not ultimately be, that's not fixing the problem if, if your metabolism has, has been destroyed by this linoleic acid. Where, where chicken and pork come in is that most chicken and pork that we eat today have been fed a lot of corn and soy. So they're mm. higher in linoleic acid than, than beef and lamb because ruminant animals have the stomachs to convert like a, a cow, even a cow that's fed corn can convert that linoleic acid. Um, so they're not as high in linoleic acid. Of course, ideally you would eat pasture, uh, grass fed, grass finished beef, which has, first of all, has higher DHA and then also much lower in, you know, linoleic acid than even corn fed beef. But, uh, so that's where I, I tend to sort of, at least in the last few months, to try to stay away from a lot of chicken and pork. Yeah, I've heard that before. Um, and speaking of the ant, you know, an elimination diet, I mean, a carnivore diet is the perfect elimination diet. It's a perfect anti-inflammatory diet. As bad a rap as red meat get has gotten over the years, mostly for, you know, ca- causing cardiovascular disease, which has totally been debunked. Um, you know, red meat is the ultimate anti-inflammatory diet. I've never heard of somebody that, maybe there's somebody that doesn't like red meat, but I've never heard of somebody that doesn't, uh, that, that red meat actually causes issues with them. So um, I, I think red meat is very, very important in our diet. One of the things is, is why it's red is, is, you know, it's red because of the iron we get from it. And if you typically look at um, vegans, um, a lot of times you can tell just by looking at them that they're vegan. And usually it's because they lack iron. Um, can you speak on that at all, James, about the iron and red meat and how it's so absorbable and things like that? Yeah, it's a heme iron is, you know, iron. And a lot of this, there are a lot of ways that this plays out uh, for why, you know, I believe in eating an animal-based diet, not just the iron, but also bio bioavailable levels of vitamin A and other things that, you know, we'll often be told that, you know, carrots have vitamin A or, you know, some other vegetable has iron, but it's not in a bioavailable form. It's a preform that's in your body has to convert in order to use. So some people have kind of said that it's like running, you know, a Mac versus, a, you know, versus a Windows operating system. So plants and animals work on different, really have different operating systems. And the all the things that have developed in plants are really for the benefit of plants, not for humans. So anything that we have to do, we have to convert, convert that to use. Um, so obviously B12, people will often hear that. Now, if you want to live optimally on a vegan diet, I think you have to admit to yourself that you're sacrificing, in some ways you're sacrificing your health. I think if you're really honest with yourself for the, philosophy of you know trying to be ethical and live a certain way because this is our you know most humans have eaten animal foods for thousands or millions of years so only in the modern age where we can buy all these supplements um, and other other ways to get enough protein could you even begin to think like you know eating like a vegan because you have to you know have b12 you have to have iron uh the, uh, like I said, DHA is really only only available in animal foods. Uh, that's 
EPA is something that people will say, well, you can get these omega-3s from plants, but again, like kelp or something, you still have to convert that EPA to DHA in your body, and everyone doesn't do that like they should. Well, no, and not only that, but it's it's concentration. So like with iron, for instance, I mean, how much spinach do you have to eat in order to get the right. same amount of iron that you would get in red meat? I mean, you know, and I, I know a lot of times that the people that are, are vegans, one of the things that they'll do is they'll say, well, you know, um, spinach has more XYZ per per um, gram than or per um, calorie than than meat. Well, yeah, because it doesn't have very many calories, but you would have to eat arm loads wheelbarrow loads of it to get the same amount as you would in meat with with many different nutrients so there's a lot of you know there's a lot of uh you know things you have to look deep into when that when when um people that are that are proposing the vegetarian diet or vegan diet um and they're trying to compare it to a carnivore you know an army even an omnivore diet you have to really watch those numbers because they can be skewed pretty quickly and i'm with you james i think it's you know i i I believe in supplementation, um, you know, vitamin and mineral supplementation. I believe in it, but it's just that it's it's to supplement. And if you have to constantly supplement your diet to overcome the um, lack of nutrients in your diet all the time, then that can that that's can be a problem. And yeah, typically with vegans, it's it's protein because you just can't get enough protein. It's hard, no matter what you do, to eat, you know, enough legumes um or you know like peas and stuff that do have protein that are beans that do have protein in them it's hard to eat 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 enough of them to get enough protein compared to meat for sure yeah so i mean i believe in eating calorically efficient foods like you said i mean uh, you you want to be metabolically flexible, I think, and you also want to be what you're eating. You want to get as many nutrients and minerals and vitamins out of your food as possible. That's the problem, really the general problem with eating a high-carbohydrate diet, I think, is what are you not getting by eating most of your calories from carbohydrates? I mean, carbohydrates are good, fast fuel for an athlete, but I think historically... I mean, we would not get a lot of nutrients out of carbohydrates. Um, so they would be, I, I think that plants anthropologically have been fallback food when we weren't able to uh, have access to an animal to get the fat and the, the right. organ meats. And that, that, that's something I've done as well as I've researched this is that there are a lot of um, micronutrients and peptides and organ meats that we've traditionally gotten that we've gotten away from. So. I think liver is like the ultimate superfood. It has so many vitamins, nutrients in it that we should be eating. And if we, if you can't do that, if you can't eat liver, then you can do what I do, which I use these um, ancestral supplements that are basically desiccated um, organ supplements. It's, it's food, just for not really. It's not a a supplement as much as it it is like eating. Um, the organ meats in a, in a dehydrated uh, capsule so you don't have to uh, actually cook cook a liver or cook you know, stomach or brain or whatever other organ that I think our ancestors would have eaten. 
Yeah, I mean, they talk about it nose to tail, right? I mean, our ancestors ate ate meat nose to tail. They didn't waste any of it. They couldn't. They couldn't because it was, you know, it, it had to sustain them. They didn't have a lot of backup plants, possibly. And I think what a lot of people don't realize, and this is why I, I, I first of all, you know, diet, I think you said it earlier, you have to find out what works for you. Um, and different diets work for different people. So you got to find out what works for you. Um, but um, also, I will say this, there's probably, you know, in, in, a, in a vegan diet or vegetarian diet, will people lose weight? Yeah, I think so. Um, typically, because they'll probably limit some calories. And, and if they're truly eating, you know, whole foods and, and truly eating vegan or vegetarian, and they're eating, you know, whole foods, they're going to probably lose weight. Now, long term, I don't know if I really believe in those diets long term. It's probably one of the only diets I won't recommend long term is vegan or vegetarian, because I honestly do not think that it's healthy long term. Because I think those don't think our bodies, our bodies, I, I believe in an omnivore diet, I do believe probably mostly meat and supplement with some plants and with fruits and vegetables. But if you look at in history, I've, I have asked the vegans and vegetarians, of course, they kind of get hateful about these subjects and then they personally attack. But I have asked them to find one culture, you know, that really grew up eating plants only and nobody's ever came up with, with an answer, but you can look at some cultures, you know, like the Eskimo culture and largely they probably ate meat only. Now they probably maybe did have some trade and people would cross into their areas and trade with some plants and stuff, but largely they ate meat only. you have any comments about that, James? No, I agree. I mean, I have come to sort of this ancestral idea of, of eating more like our ancestors ate and even maybe researching to the point of researching where your particular ancestors ate. So if your ancestors maybe ate closer to the equator, they may have eaten more fruits and vegetables than someone that may have, like you said, more of a, uh, an Eskimo um, tribe or something. And I, and also eating seasonally, I think having 365 day access to fruits and vegetables may not be a good thing either. I think if you really look at um, plants have evolved to have these um, molecules and proteins that are our defense mechanisms. We know that gluten causes people a lot of problems, but people over the last few years have started to understand that that plants also produce these other um, anti-nutrients that are really designed to keep bugs and animals from from eating them where they don't die out. So uh, there are oxalates and uh, phytonutrients that are really designed to bring to have the plant absorb nutrients out of the ground as possible. And what happens when the, when you consume a lot of those plants that they end up uh, keeping you from absorbing a lot of those minerals yourself. And a lot of people have not really realized that. So I think that is another reason why I like lean toward minimizing uh, plant uh, foods as much as possible or, or see how it affects your gut health because like you said, um, a lot of my, I have a few really good vegan friends that I've, w- once I've gotten to talk to them a little bit more about some of their health, uh, they have, several of them have autoimmune issues or gut issues, but they don't, they will never admit that that is caused by the 
plants that they're eating. It's always a genetic thing. Well, you know, all right. this runs in my family. And I think if they really um, were honest about it, and, and I think that was why we're seeing a lot of people sort of in the carnivore community were vegans at one point and they, they were initially healthy, like you said, for a couple of years because they came off the standard American diet right. and they went to more plant-based and you can lose weight. Uh, of course, I would say that a lot of the, sometimes a lot of the weight that a person loses when they go vegan is losing muscle mass because uh, they're not getting enough protein, like you said before. Um, and a lot of athletes that have gone vegan, in fact, it's the um, Game Changers movie, there were several athletes that were initially in the movie that by the time they released the film said, oh, I can't do this anymore. I've lost you know, my ability to function the way I, I was before. They had built a lot of their muscle mass on an animal, more of an animal-based diet, and they had just had injuries and didn't recover from exercise as well, so they asked to be taken out of that film, so... Definitely. Yeah, and it is interesting that they keep that kind of quiet too. Um, you, you know about those athletes that did go off that program, and there's been other athletes um, that have went vegan. You know, even professional. I, I can think of a couple NFL stars, and they went vegan and they got injured, and they went back yeah. to being, you know, um, you know, omnivores and eating meat because they realize that you just at any kind of level you can't really sustain. You can't really sustain yourself without having meat. I mean, it's very calorically and nutrient dense. I mean, it's actually amazing what, you know, herding animals mostly that we eat have done, you know, that they do with plants. I mean, they, they, they take, you know, mostly cellulose and some other nutrients out of, out of the ground, eat it, and then, you know, put it into lean protein muscle mass and that's essentially what we eat. Um, and they put into fat too, of course. And that's essentially what we eat is, is that. And it's amazing that they can do that. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, and actually it doesn't follow the law of physics because they take negative calories pretty much and produce a lot of extra weight and calories on themselves. And then we take advantage of that. And I think it's pretty amazing. Right. And cows get a lot of blame. You know, the environmentalists will say that, all these cows are putting methane into the air and everything. Well, really, we need more ruminant animals on the land to help regenerate the soil. Our soil has been depleted so much that if you're on a plant-based diet, even if you think that a lot of these plants are, are really great for you, which I don't, that our soil has been depleted so much that the plants that we eat today are, have even less nutrient, um, nutrients than they did in the past because this monocrop agriculture model is really destroying the planet. I think. Yeah. And of course I grew up in a, you know, I live in a, um, in an agriculture community and I, I can see it. I mean, I can just think about this, think about a, think about an average potato field and, you know, an average potato fields, uh, you know, 125 acres or so. Um, and, you know, you look at that and then if you look at, if they had, you know, cows on that 125 acres in a pasture, um, how many people would the potatoes feed versus how many people would the cows feed? I don't know the numbers, but it's 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 probably ten to one, or or maybe even more. Um, so when you think that, and I'm I got nothing wrong with farming. I think farming is great, and I think we need plants. But I just think uh, 
you know, if you're if you think that the answer is get rid of cows to save the environment, I just don't think that's true. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. Like you say, you know, cows put nutrients, um, mostly nitrogen, after they eat the plants. They, you know, they're there's nitrogenous waste, and they put that back into the soil, which is fertilizer for the plants. So, I mean, it works great. And one cow can feed me for a whole year, you know. So even if you're ethically opposed to something dying, uh, one one death of one cow could feed me for a year, whereas how many um, animals, how many small furry animals did, were killed in the process of tilling that soil and planting all that, all those right. soybeans that you're, that you're doing. I just, and I think, I think we have way too much soy. I mean, that goes to um, the linoleic acid. I mean, if you start looking at the ingredients for anything that comes in a box or a bag or um, you know, any type of processed food. And even if you think it's healthy, start reading it. And I think this is my number one thing I would say to anyone that really wants to start eating healthy is to look at the ingredients. And if it has any of those eight um, seed oils, soybean oil, canola oil, uh, safflower oil, sunflower oil, stay away from those. I mean, you can eat, I think you can eat more sugar, honestly, than and get away with it than get consuming these seed oils. Um, because of the sugar, I mean, it'll spike your insulin, and then it's you know, then it, it's gone. These people have found that these seed oils actually stay in your cells for like three to five years. It takes a long time to get these things out of our body and wow. detoxify from them. So um, that's where I would start. Well, and speaking of plants and, and detoxifying, I mean, when you look at plants and you look at you know what plants are meant to do, and you talked about plants are meant to you know, survive themselves are meant for the benefit of the plant. So when you think about some things like, for instance, um, you know, um, spice plants like jalapeno pepper, you know, which um, has basically what is it? Cayenne, cayenne pepper is what's what's in what's in jalapenos, I believe. Um, and if you look at why do jalap why are jalapenos spicy? It's because they don't want animals to eat them. It's a way for them evolutionary to to, to, to keep, you know, to keep, um, to keep alive. So mm -hmm. should we be eating them? Should we be eating a lot of the things? Like, I mean, that's obviously a jalapeno and maybe it does add some flavor, but you know, it's inflammatory to our bodies. I mean, you could argue. Yeah. That probably no, is I, right. I, I would, yeah, I would say we should not be eating them in the amounts that we're eating them. I think if we eat them, if we were eating them seasonally, like our ancestors ate them, then our body could, you know, our bodies are resilient and they could take those plant toxins that are in there in spinach for instance there's a lot of oxalates in spinach so you would not have eaten spinach very often or maybe some some in the summer i guess um but since we have whole foods in these places that can ship vegetables year round and then you read one study that says there might be one you know small benefit to spinach and people are making these spinach smoothies every day then you're consuming them in, in ways that are not ancestrally uh, right. sound or how, yeah. how our ancestors would. And so you're not detoxifying from those um, plant toxins that are in there. And the other thing, that, that's another reason why I tend to go towards fruit seasonally as well is because plants do want animals to eat their fruit because that's how they spread their seed. You know, right. it's like, yeah. well, stay, stay away from our babies. We don't want you to over consume us and our leaves and our seeds, but 
take this fruit and right. go eat it and, and poop it somewhere where then it will plant enough, you know, that's how we can spread our, um, you know, our uh, evolutionarily uh, survive. And so that's why I tend to, I'm fine with eating, you know, consuming fruit more than, more than most plants. And then plants that maybe, um, you know, tubers and squash, people have shown that those are le- are some of the less toxic um, vegetables. But it's been, I mean, we've been told that green vegetables are the healthiest of all. And I would say that they probably are some of the most toxic. Well, I, I think, and, and speaking of tubers, so when, but when did people eat tubers? They usually typically ate them in the fall, you know, maybe from September yeah. until November. And you know, one of the problems, yeah, right. And one of the problems with the standard American diet is you kind of talked about it is that we can get anything we want from all over the world, pretty much at any grocery store. And that's a, that, that can maybe tend to be a problem because of refrigeration. Now I'm not saying refrigeration has maybe saved lives possibly, um, you know, and, you know, maybe prevented starvation possibly, but it also makes it maybe that we're eating things year round that we shouldn't be eating. Cause, um, you know, I got to think that, uh, you know, apples were, you know, it, you weren't eating apples in January, you know, even in the, you know, the, the state of Washington where we, you know, where we, uh, you know, where we grow more apples than anybody. I don't think that people were, were, were eating apples in January cause you just couldn't store them that long. You probably ate them, you know, in August and September and maybe up until November. Yeah. And I think the other one that over are overconsumed a lot are nuts. Um, especially, you know, keto people have kind of traditionally thought, well, nuts are really good for us, but not in the amounts that a lot of people are, are eating nuts for sure. And it, it's more, it, it was more to trigger hibernation for, for bears. Like you eat a ton of nuts and get fat so you can That's survive right. the, so you can right. hibernate through the winter. So there's a reason why you might want to, you might want to avoid large amounts of nuts. They're easy to overconsume. They are. They are. You got to be careful. I mean, a handful of them, you know, one ounce of, of peanuts or cashews, 170 calories and just a handful. They are pretty concentrated in calories and not, I'm not saying maybe not nutrients, but a lot of it is fat. That's the only way it can be because, um, it's not concentrated in protein like meat is. So, so yeah, that's the other thing I was going to say. Just uh, it reminded me of something that I wanted to say about that too. With the way I'm eating here, you concentrate, you really prior prioritize protein, and you're getting your protein from animal sources, um, from mostly red meat and fat. It's almost impossible to over overeat. In fact, a lot of people that go mostly carnivore, they have to make sure that they're not under eating calories because it's so satiating. Um, and there's a there's something called the protein energy ratio hypothesis, I guess you would say. There's a, a doctor named Ted Naiman there in Seattle, in the Seattle area, that talks a lot about this, is that animals will always try to eat enough you get enough protein. They'll keep eating until their body thinks they're getting enough protein. So as we have stopped eating as much protein over the years, a lot of the overeating that we're doing, we don't even realize it, but our body is saying, give me more protein. And you're eating, overeating fat and carbohydrates to try to reach that protein threshold. And so if you're eating most, if you prioritize protein, then 
you're getting the you know the amount of protein that you probably need, and you're not over consuming uh, calories from fat and carbohydrates. And I guess I just wanted to add that because in this whole health eating journey that I've had, I've never counted calories a single day. I've never really felt like I've gone on a diet. I've never been hungry. I just eat until I'm full. I eat when I'm hungry. And because I feel like I'm prioritizing the right kinds of foods, I don't have to count calories or really even macros other than, you know, I feel like to build muscle that I want about a pound of, I mean, a, yes, um, a gram of, of protein per pound of body weight or somewhere in that range. But other than that, I'm not looking at my calories every day at all. Well, it is, it is interesting you say that. I mean, let's look at some of the things that typically are easy to overeat. You know, let's just say bread or let's say a bag of chips. I mean, honestly, you know, I may be different than a lot of people, but I could just keep eating those all day long and never feel full. I mean, easily I could go through a bag of chips. That's why I just don't buy them because I could eat them all. Um, Although I can honestly tell you, when I when I go down to eat red meat, I don't. It doesn't matter how hungry I am or how long I haven't eaten. Honestly, for me, it's like, and I weigh most of my food, especially when it's meat, just because it's easy to weigh. And um, um, twelve ounces, and it's just like invariably, I'll eat, I'll I'll pick twelve ounces. It's like, oh, there it is. And then you weigh it afterwards or something, and it's like, you know, 10 to 12 ounces. That's all the red meat I can eat because it is very satiating. Um, and it, it probably is because of that protein. So here's one of the things, too, like you say, prioritize that. So last night when I ate dinner, I didn't put any carbs in my dinner. No salad, no potatoes, no nothing on my plate. I ate the meat first, and it was 10.8 ounces of red meat. And after I was done with the red meat, I was done. I didn't have anything else because I didn't need anything else. I didn't feel – I felt full. So I think that's a great point, James, is that it is just very satiating. And, you know, if you – and I – you know, you know, evolutionarily speaking, it, there's probably a reason for that because our bodies don't want to – you know, what we want to – we want to convert lean body mass and maintain lean body mass. It'll, it just makes sense. Yeah, and like you said, having access – to food from all over the world all the time, we've forgotten that, you know, as humans, we wanted to be as efficient and be associated as much as possible because it might be 24, 48 hours before we ate again. Right. So there's no way you would have selected on, on purpose a food that would make you hungry again in two hours <laughs> right 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 which is what a lot of the processed carbs do for sure so do you have any insight on you know one thing we talk about you know that we hear in the medical uh traditional medical system is that we hear about how you know eating red meat is you know bad for your cholesterol do you have any insight where your cholesterol numbers are yet yeah my cholesterol was you know good before i'm going to get uh, blood work done again next month but of all the really the studies that I've looked at what what a lot of these um, this research that comes out I think is very biased against red meat and they sort of go into it thinking okay we're going to show that red meat is bad and if you just look at most of the studies that say that you know red meat is bad for you they are these epidemiology studies that confound a lot of variables and so they're never looking at just 
people that primarily are eating meat. They're looking at people that are eating the standard American diet with a lot of carbohydrates. And so um, they say, look, well, they ate red meat and they're unhealthy. Well, not, not really. They are eating hamburgers and cheeseburgers and hot dogs and things like that. So most of those studies are just total bunk. The, there are a lot of people recently have shown that, um, that even LDL in the context of being insulin sensitive and having good glucose levels is not, is not a problem. That LDL has even gotten uh, wrongly vilified because, um, you know, there's something else that caused the, the spark. If someone has diabetes or something, then, then they say, well, look, you had LDL. It's kind of like these, um, you know, people that have heart disease or diabetes, and they also happen to have uh, COVID-19. So they say, look, COVID-19, that's why they died. And well, no, that's not exactly. <laughs> um, in fact, if people that live the longest, if they are, are uh, metabolically healthy, LDL is very protective. And you want your LDL to be high as long as you're, um, you know, if you have a, a A1C score, calcium score that's very low and your triglycerides are, are low, I, I think the, the key factor for me is your HDL to uh, triglyceride ratio. So you want your HDL to be high and your and your triglycerides to be low, and then LDL is just as long as as long as you have those other things going for you, then I'm not I'm not worried about cholesterol at all. I think cholesterol is the next thing. Like they finally started to admit that fat, you know, they've taken that out, saying that fat really isn't all that bad. Well, cholesterol is not really, especially dietary cholesterol is not not bad for you either. In my opinion. Yeah, I mean that's I, I've had a whole episode de- dedicated to that. How you know it's not the cholesterol that's killing us; it's it's a lot of the other factors. And you know we can talk. We could have another episode dedicated to that. But it's cholesterol. Without cholesterol, we would die. Every cell in our body needs cholesterol. Cholesterol has been vilified, but I don't think it's necessarily the culprit of cardiovascular disease. When when you look at most of the American population is, you know, what, 40% of them are, are, are obese. Um, I don't think lowering their cholesterol is really going to, you know, be a no, life-saving. I think that the bad thing is oxidative stress and mitochondrial damage, that most diseases are some sort of damage to your mitochondria and oxidative stress. So a lot of people say, well, look, this oxidated, it's oxidated. LDL that is the problem well you're not going to have oxidated LDL and I think the culprit on a lot of these things is the use of um, industrial seed oils that we're consuming if you look at the the graph of the amount of these polyunsaturated fatty acids that people have consumed over the last hundred or so years it almost tracks right along with the increase in cancer and heart disease and obesity. So I think that at some point people are going to realize that that is one of the driving factors of, you know, these seed oils are very unstable. That's why they're not good when they're, when you're cooking with them. And they're also unstable in your body. So they cause oxidative stress. And then the LDL is like the fire truck that's going around trying to clean up this mess that you put into your body. Right. right. And then they get, and then it gets blamed whenever there's a heart attack. Like, uh, no, it was all these, seed oils that unfortunately a lot of cardiologists have been telling people for years that 
you need to switch from butter and um, animal fat to Wesson canola oil for your heart health. And it's actually probably the opposite. We're killing people with all these seed oils. Yeah. You know, um, our uh, ancestors for thousands of years sustained themselves on, on butter um, and you know, so I don't think butter was really the issue and they lived in their hundreds many a times too. So I don't think butter was really the, you know, the issue, um, you know, but animal fats have just been vilified over the last, you know, half century or so. So, well, so, my grandparents and great grandparents cooked in lard or yep. you know, beef tallow and things like that. And what I guess around the time of, World War World War Two or the Depression or something. They came out and said, "Well, you know, it's it's too expensive to make large, so we're going to add some of this, make Crisco." So they Crisco became like the thing that all of yeah. people started making their biscuits with instead of lard. And um, look, we haven't gotten any healthier. And then the other thing is, um, you know, people say, "Well, why would you look at our ancestors? Because the lifespan is so short." I mean, it's, we're look, we're living so much longer now. Well, I think we're really not living longer than our ancestors did. If you take out the fact that a lot of our ancestors, um, especially thousands of years ago, may have gotten killed by an animal because they couldn't defend themselves. But but then even in the industrial age, with a lot of children dying in childbirth and women yeah. dying giving. Uh, dying in childbirth, that was what really brought the average lifespan down. So now we're just living about the same amount of time that we've always lived. We just Now we just live in a disease state for most of it. Right. That's part of the problem. And yeah, you're right, James. We have an extended life whatsoever. And you could actually argue we've, we've had less quality now most of the time. But um, it really, when you look at 100 years ago, why the average American lived longer, it was, I think, infant mortality. Because, you know, you have, mm-hmm. you have a few people that die, you, you know, as infants, and it just really skews those numbers. So we're not living any longer. I talked my, my my wife, their families lived into their 90s her grandparents, her great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, they've, you know, Norwegian background, they lived in their 90s much. A lot of them did. So, you know, that's nothing really that new. We haven't extended life at all. So I thought we were going to get through a whole episode without talking about COVID, but there we did. We talked about I mean, COVID. <laughs> but, no, it's I, necessary. Yeah, I didn't get to get on that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, look, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, yeah, we can't take the government out of this. I mean, we talked about not talking about that, but, you know, the nutritional science has been so, it's such a bunch of crony, cronyism going back for years with uh, the the grain industry trying to push cereals on everyone as being heart healthy. And, and I guess part of my rebellious nature was to say, wait a minute, I'm going to, look into this and maybe I just need to do the opposite of what the government has recommended. That's usually the, the best case. 50 years. And <laughs> it sort of applies to health as much as anything. Yeah, that is definitely usually the best case is, is do the opposite of what the government tells us to do. Cause you know, if they have to tell us to do something, you know, IE stay home or IE wear a mask, you know, if they have to tell us to do that, it's not in our instinct. It's probably not good for us. Just saying. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, our ancestors have lived thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of years and they they didn't have to 
they didn't have to go to the gym even, you know, like I think it's great to go to the gym, but I've also decided that I can live healthy and I can, I can walk and I can sprint and I can do all the things that my ancestors did to be healthy without even going to the gym. The gym is nice, but you know, during this, these COVID lockdowns, I sort of decided on my own that why should I even have to rely on that? I mean, I can do body weight exercises. I can pick up heavy things, find things to live. Right. I grew up on a farm and my <laughs> grandfather, my grandfather was, in great health. He never went to a gym a day of his life. He was lifting <laughs> right. hay, hay bales and, you know, carrying things around. Um, I mean, you can do, you can find ancestral ways to work out too. Yeah. And bodyweight exercises are great. I've got on our YouTube channel, I've got lots of different bodyweight exercises. That's what I do most of the time. I have a home gym and make it pretty simple because I don't want to have to rely on the gym. And especially when the government closes them down, I don't want to rely on that. So I'm so happy that I do have a home gym. So um, let's see, James. So what, you know, I know that, uh, you know, we, we, we typically talk about, you know, medicine and, and, and government run medicine and, and the free markets and how that's going to, you know, um, you know, really, you know, really save medicine is, is, is free market solutions. So um, what do you think about our diet? I mean, what, what fires you up about what you're doing and, um, you know, what drives you and, and what's going to fix our, fix the American's diet? Yeah, I think about this a lot because, you know, we, we talked about healthcare and how healthcare starts with you as an individual taking care of your health. And I think we also know that in medical school, doctors are not given much nutrition at all. They don't really know much about nutrition. And so unfortunately, I think we probably put too much on on doctors in thinking, well, was the doctor going to tell me about what I should do with my diet? And we could probably do most of that research ourselves. And maybe we need to, I think we need to really separate out medical care and acute medical care from, you know, taking care of your health in, in a lot of ways. And then that would take a lot of the burden off of the healthcare system um, because these chronic diseases, I think most of them can be fixed without the pharmacological model of, you know, well, let's, let's go and let's take a drug to fix something. You can just take, take charge of your health. And then really the only thing you should need a medical professional for is, you know, some, something that is like, you broke your knee or something and we're really designed to live very healthy and drop dead at an old age and that's my goal in life is to live a healthy life and you know you just suddenly die (laughs) and not have the last 20 years of your life have have diabetes or cancer or heart disease I, i really think we've sort of been conditioned to think that these things are just a fact of getting old you know after you turn 40 then you're going to get arthritis and you're going to, you know, get uh, high cholesterol and diabetes and these things. And then we have a pill that you can take right. to help, help man- manage that. But we're, we weren't designed to, to live like that. No. And, you know, you said pharmacological interventions, but even surgical interventions. Um, earlier in the year, I had Dr. Sean Baker, who's a big proponent of the carnivore diet. You guys can um, look him up, um, Meet RX. He has even a program that you can follow. I'm not sure if that's what you were following, James. Um, 
but yeah, Dr. Sean Baker, he wrote a book, The Carnivore Diet, and he w- he's an orthopedic surgeon. And he said on my podcast, he said that 70% of the surgeries that he did as an orthopedic surgeon could be prevented if people changed their lifestyle, mostly diet. I mean, that's an incredible number. So it's not just yeah, pharmacological, it's surgical. Well, you think a lot of them hip and knee replacements are yep. probably a result of people carrying way too much weight yep. around. Yep. Yep. For sure. And, For sure. And, and a lot of people have reversed uh, through their arthritis on the carnivore diet. They don't necessarily know exactly why right now, but they do feel that, you know, you're going on a low inflammation diet. Like you said, eating just meat is very, there's hardly any inflammation. So you're reducing the inflammation in your body. So people have corrected autoimmune disorders, um, arthritis and things just by eliminating plants and then, or eczema, a lot of skin issues that starts in your gut as well. So I would say most people, unfortunately today have some kind of gut dysbiosis and there could be multiple reasons for having that, but going, at least trying to go on a primarily uh, meat-based diet for some amount of time to see how that heals your gut and just give your gut a break from all the fiber. Uh, Fiber, we've been told for so long that fiber is so good for you, but, you know, I I counter that as well that um, actually may not be as good for us as, as as we think. You should be absorbing most of the food that you eat, not, you know, sending it out as waste. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, uh, I, I get it. I mean, that's just rational, right? I, but I mean, you know, the, the colon cancer prevention people with fiber will really have a fit with that one. And, you know, so, um, but it does make sense to me. It's like, if you're not absorbing it, then why are we eating it? I mean, that's just, that's just a rational question. And collagen is, is animal fiber. Some people have, have been talking about collagen recently as being, really animal fiber and we get fiber from animal fiber in a lot of ways from um, like bone broth and things like that. So plant fiber might not be optimal for us. In fact, a lot of people that have had diverticulosis, diverticulitis, they going on a low fiber diet has really helped their, their gut issues. Um, so it might just be that we're getting way too much fiber. I mean, maybe there's some need for fi- you get fiber from certain fruit from fruits that are not as toxic for you. I believe like avocado. That's why I've never had a problem with avocado, and I feel like that's probably plenty. Of, if I need fiber, I get that from avocados. Well, so yeah, it. and then I'm assuming you don't eat the skin of an avocado. So how much how much fiber does really an avocado have? You know, if you don't eat Yeah, I don't know. There's 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 some in fiber in avocados, I yeah, believe. For sure. It's a plant. I'm sure there's some obviously app yeah. Most a lot of fruits have so it's you know, you have the soluble versus insoluble fiber and uh, I guess I would think that more of the soluble fiber are are uh, is better because that it also helps you metabolize the fat soluble vitamins that a lot of people just don't get enough of. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Well, James, you've given us a lot of good information today. I always learn a lot when I have my guests on, as and that's no different today. So I I appreciate you being on, James. So, so James, um, what do you what, in the last thirty seconds? What what do you want the viewers and listeners to know about the carnivore diet and about how it's affected you? Yeah, I just think 
that you need to eliminate processed foods. I mean, let's start with that. Get rid of those seed oils. Uh, I think one of the be- main benefits of the carnivore diet is is obviously you're getting the most nutrient dense food on the planet. I believe if you do um, meat and organ meat, especially, but you get the most nu- nutrient dense, efficient uh, way to get um, efficient nutrients, vitamins, and minerals in your diet, eliminate processed foods. So it's really the elimination of, of those things that might be wrecking your, your metabolism or your health that is why the carnivore diet is so good. And then you, once you sort of use it as a, re, as a factory reset on your body, if, if, if you believe that we evolved to basically eat meat and, um, and organs, then this is like the ultimate reset on your on your on your body like if you reset your phone get all the crap get all the apps and all the stuff you've you've added to it over the years right and then just you know add the things you like and then see then you can know for sure what what's bothering you um, what's if maybe there was something you were eating that you shouldn't have been and uh, everyone's different in that respect so i think this is the good baseline to sort of reset and then and then build on Great. Well, thank you for that insight, James. And, and it's always a pleasure to have you on. We should uh, follow up with you when you get some of that lab work done, and we can uh, we can go over that and and educate our listeners and viewers at the carnivore well, diet. I love to do that. Yeah. See what my hormones and, and yeah. cholesterol and everything looks like. Yeah, and of course you're feeling great. You already told us that, so that's a that's a huge bonus. And you're looking great too. You're you're an inspiration, James. Uh, thank you for being on today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I love talking to you and I love your podcast and all the guests you've had have really helped me too over the last year to listen to a lot of great guests that you've had. So awesome. I appreciate you letting I, me be one of them. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. And don't, um, speaking of next guest, Monday, you do not want to miss out on Monday's episode. We have Dr. and Senator Scott Jensen, Senator from Minnesota, State Senator from Minnesota. He is going to be on our podcast. He has been in the news a lot lately since the 1st of March uh, when all the COVID stuff happened. He has educated a lot of people on COVID and this on on the episode Monday, one to two p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we're going to have him on. He's going to discuss the vaccine. So if you have any questions on the COVID nineteen vaccine, please um, comment, message, get a hold of me. Any many different ways you can comment on YouTube. You can comment here on my uh, personal Facebook page uh, or the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. And as always, please tune in because you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a half-hour episode. There's going to be a lot of information in in that episode. Who should get the COVID-19 vaccine with Dr. Scott Jensen? Tune in Monday, 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you for watching and listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Monday, 1 to 2 p.m. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 